up praying with her. And we uh, got her phone number. And then the next lady, I was amped up. I was like, okay, I can do this. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go talk to this one. And she prayed. And I got her contact number. And then uh, we was walking past this other lady, and I was like, okay, God, I'm scared. I don't want to do this one. And Ray was like, go ahead, go ahead. And I'm like, excuse me, ma'am, can I give you a flyer for a concert tonight? And she was like, no. And then she turned around. She was like, well, yeah, I'll take it. And I was like, okay. And then I just went blank because I got rejected, and I didn't know what to do. And I was just like, so Ray came in and swooped in and saved me. And then I was like, okay. So she was like, I don't want to pray. And she walked away, and she was crying. So Ray was just like, we got to find her. And I was like, okay, that's going to look crazy, walking around Walmart looking for a lady. So Ray and me and Tyler, both, all three of us was going down aisles, going like this, looking for her. And Ray came to me, he's like, I found a Khadijah. And I was like, okay, go, go talk to her. And he was like, no, you go talk to her. And I was just like, okay. So I went to her, I was like, excuse me, ma'am, can I talk to you real quick? I'm not being a creep. And then she was like, it's okay. And I was like, something, some, God was dealing with me and my husband about you. And I was like, I don't know what it is, um, but I felt it on my heart that I needed to say something to her, but I didn't know what to say. And I was just like standing there looking at her, and she started laughing. I was like, bear with me. This is my first time feeling this feeling, and I don't know what to say to her. But anyway, long story short, she prayed, and I got her contact number. Um, so to wrap that up, <laughs> to wrap that up, don't let fear scare you to go to outreach, uh, because that definitely pushed me to keep going to outreach on Saturdays. Um, Hallelujah. Hey Amen. My name is Ricky. Um, so the concert last night was powerful. You know, you, you just feel the presence of God and the spirit. Uh, it was a powerful atmosphere in the concert. Um, you know, uh, the, the, all the, pe the performers, you know, ministers, uh, they really blessed me. Um, and it was, it was a re real good time. You know, it just felt like a, 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 like a concert we would have here, you know. So it's, it's really, really encouraging to see our baby works. Uh, yes. Just, you know, moving and, and seeing God move through them. Um, also, you know, uh, we did get a few people get saved uh, that night. So uh, praise God for that. And, uh, you know, just uh, just want to encourage you to keep praying for Hampton. Um, you know, uh, just pr pray that just God just continue what he's doing over there. And l like uh, Brother Curtis said, you know, continue for our church here as well. You know, we could see we should be, see be seeing God moving. So, um, yeah, amen, and, uh, you know, encourage y'all just, you know, stay, stay connected to the church, you know, uh, any events, uh, impact teams, outreaches, uh, concerts, you know, stay connected, man, you know, God is moving, uh, let us, be, you know, uh, stay in motion, let us not stay idle, uh, you know, in, in God's house, so, amen. Thank you, praise God, Father, we give you praise, we give you glory and honor, Jesus, hallelujah, praise God, if you have your Bibles tonight, if you open up to... John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1, go down to verse 14, John chapter 6, 1 through 14. I uh, have an awesome privilege and honor to preach behind my pastor's pulpit. Uh, if you're taking notes, I've entitled this sermon, What's in Your Hand? So let's start uh, our, reading our text here. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming towards him. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to him, he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of 
bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people to sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to his disciples, the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had, they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly uh, the prophet who has come into the world. You know, in the story in The Wizard of Oz, as you read or as you've seen the film, the narrative winds down, and every step along the yellow brick road, jo- Dorothy becomes a heroine. She seems to grow larger and larger. You know, the characters that are there, the Scarecrow, the Lion, the, the Tin Man, etc. cetera. Uh, while the ones that should have been the heroes, the ones that should have been brave, the ones that should have had hearts seem to grow smaller and smaller. So finally, she the curtain falls away, and she learns what some children uh, learn, is that adults are very good persons, but very bad wizards. The Wicked Witch of the West sums us up uh, in, in this, what she says, which is, who would have thought that such a good little girl like you could destroy my wickedness as she melts away and Dorothy grows up in this story. And as we read this scripture, something similar happens. Here it is, we have these disciples, these adults are following Jesus, they're doing great things, they're hearing Him, and a need arises and they can't meet the need. They are perplexed at how to meet the need. Andrew sees the boy and says, well, okay, this is silly. We know this is going to work, but I'm going to try something, you know. Gets the lunch from the kid, and, and here it is. And it's interesting because this is one of the accounts that all four of the Gospels depict. Can you imagine being there and watching this miracle take place? Regardless of who you are, your mind must have flipped. From the start at the beginning, seeing them take the lunch, if you're an observer, and he prays and he breaks it and keeps breaking it and keeps breaking it and keeps breaking it until as they're passing around, this miracle is going on. I wonder if they were paying attention to that or were they just eating? Hmm? How many times do we come into the presence of God and we are so concerned and focus on what we are eating that we miss the miracle that God wants to do and is doing? Here it is, this young boy, he comes to the meeting and we don't hear word of his parents. We don't know if they're there or not. The Bible is silent. But what's amazing is he didn't hesitate to give everything he had to Jesus. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not going to talk about money. But if the Holy Spirit convicts you about money today, then that's, that's his business, and he knows that's what the issue is. But I want to really focus in today, uh, this evening, about giving of yourself in service. Maybe even service to the church. Maybe even getting involved in ministry. Or if you're already involved in ministry, in giving your all like this young boy did so that others could be fed. I want to ask you, what impact can you and I have and make with what's in our hands, what's in our lives? 
First thing I want to look at is don't think it's insignificant. Here it is in verse 8 through 10. Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, says to Jesus, Hey, there's a kid here. He has five loaves, two small fish. What are they going to do? That's exactly what Andrew did. He said, this is so small. This is insignificant. This is not going to... This barely feeds this kid. He's a growing boy, but we got it. Hey, what what are you going to do, Jesus? And Jesus does what Jesus does. He does a miracle that defies logic. Can you imagine? Think of the economics of this, because this happens to us so many times in life, in ministry, in the offering. And, you know... Okay, we have the economic, the logic side of our brain that says there is a law of supply and demand. Here is the need that I have, whatever that need might be, and here is the supply. Anyone got a microscope? Compared to the demand. And we start thinking there is no way that this can take care of this. Five plus two does not equal 5,000. Right? And actually, is more than 5,000 because it just mentions the men then. Some Bible commentators say there could be up to 20 to 25,000 people there. Five loaves, two small fish. We're not talking mackerels. We're not talking tarpon, swordfish, tuna, two small fish. He had a snack. Our minds, our hearts, the world will say, oh, that can't be done. Are you stupid? Come on. What's wrong with you? Might as well just give up while we're behind. That's the world's logic, right? Why even give it to Christ? Come on. Why is this kid going to sacrifice? How cruel could you be to mug the boy for his lunch, and you're not even going to give it back to him, are you? You're going to take it all. Selfish, religious people using kids like that. But... What does it say in our text? It says God, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew ahead what he was going to do. Amen? But how many times do we consider our resources? We look at our lives. We look at who we are. And it's like looking at the boy's lunch in compared to the need. Maybe it's a need we have. Maybe it's a need in the church. Maybe it's a need that others have. And we can think the same thing. But listen, God does not think the way we think. He doesn't see it the same way. Jesus did not see a small lunch. He said, oh yeah, I can do something with this. See, God's ways are not our ways, and nor does he think like we think. But amazing things happen, and he shows his glory when we will surrender that insignificant small thing into his hand. It might be a skill that you have. I'm talking a natural skill that you went to school for, you developed. Maybe it's a talent that you have, a natural talent that you've worked on or learned to use, or you don't even know how you do it, but you can do it. Maybe it is a spiritual gift that is supernatural that you could not contrive or come up with that God has given you and depositing you, and yet many times these are the things that we go, it's just a small thing, God. I don't, I don't know what you can do with this. I'm, I don't even know what I can do with this really yet. So, but nevertheless, here. Or do we hold on to it because it's so small? Because we don't think it will do anything. Maybe we're embarrassed. Amen? Appreciate our sister's testimony. Not like an outreach. And yet, what'd she do? She went anyways. She witnessed anyways. And 
just like the miracle we read about, people are saved. She may have been thinking, because I don't like it, oh, okay, I'm, I'm just so bent. And yet God comes through and does a miracle, and three people are saved on their way to heaven today. I will say this, probably not just three people. You know why? Because they're going to tell what happened. And it's going to multiply exponentially. Who's, who's to say that Hampton, that that church might, might not exceed our numbers? Because of three people saved that obey and do the same thing and so on and so on and so on. Amen? But see, we have to overcome this idea that we, we well, well this, this is useless. This is, this is small. No way God can use that. Are you crazy, God? Listen, He can use anything. This is the God who made everything out of nothing. Amen? I think if He can make everything out of nothing with a word, that He can do pretty much about everything. Regardless of how small something might be or insignificant. In fact, God delights in using people that are small in their own eyes to accomplish great things. Pastor Wayman Mitchell has always said, our fellowship is not peopled with great people. People that are high and mighty, that are, that are full of incredible degrees of education and all this. He uses lay people, common, everyday people to do extraordinary things that they could not do but for God. And that has not changed. You know, March of 1981, President Reagan was shot by John Hinckley Jr. He was in the hospital several weeks. And you know what was amazing? Even though he's the president, the nation did not come screeching to a halt. In fact, a lot of things just went on like they always had. Now, about the same time in 1986 in Philadelphia, the garbage collection department decided to go on a strike that lasted for three weeks. Yeah, it stunk. Not only was that city a literal mess, but there were piles of decaying trash that quickly became a health hazard. So who is more important there, the president or a trash man? But we don't see it that way, do we? Oh, it's the person with the title. The reverend. The minister. Right? The person has more degrees in Fahrenheit. But what are they doing? Are they surrendering to God? Or are they keeping it all to themselves, trying to go for their own glory? It says in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 21 through 22, The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. Can you imagine going through life without eyelashes? I mean, no eyelashes. You would be blind. Because the eyelashes filter out sand and dust and things like that. What if you went through life without tear ducts? Again, you would be blind because your eyes would not be drained of all this stuff that you come in contact with. You ever rip a toenail or a fingernail off? I remember I was in the army one time. I was up on the, our track. We had these stanchions, and the top of these stanchions had the, these two metal pieces that went like this. And there's a slot in the middle. And I don't know how I did it, but I did it because I'm me. And I'm there, and somehow a fingernail got caught. And I didn't have long fingernails, so I must have done something really amazing to do this. 
and I had to jump off the track. It was maybe four and a half, five feet above ground. My fingernail, I had my hand around the stanchion. Somehow I jump, and whoa, whoa, whole nail ripped off. And then we had to refuel that track that night. And let me tell you, I lived that all over again for weeks. We were in the field for like two more weeks, and I felt that thing every, a stupid fingernail. Non-functional, but let me know. I'll tell you what, I knew that it was gone. Small things. Small things. Listen, whatever that small thing is that's in your mind, don't hold on to it. Surrender it to God. It says in verse 11, Jesus took the loaves when He had given thanks. He distributed them to the disciples. The disciples to those sitting down likewise at fish as much as they wanted. I can imagine someone there who liked to buffet his body at buffets. Right? Go sit there. Oh, you can eat. Woo! Let me loosen my belt. I can eat a lot. You're all in trouble now. As much as they wanted. I've seen some young people. It doesn't matter if they're, they're, they're large in body or if they're skinny. And they can eat a lot. To tell them, if you have them come to your house and say, you can have as much as you want. It's gone. It's gone. You're, you're going to be having to go to the grocery store again after one hour's time. I'm sure there's people that got as much as they want, and yet there was left over. Yet there was more. Now, the Bible doesn't say what happened to that more, but you know what? No one, Jesus, I bet he gave it to the boy. Here you go, son. Imagine that kid coming home. Mom, Dad, look, let me tell you something. You should have been there. Unless he then also got more of what he wanted on the way home. You know what? Christ will use the willing. And it's not just about giving like in an offering. But what about giving yourself in service? What about giving yourself in ministry? You know, here we're growing. I have said this to so many people because I sense it, I feel it, I've seen it, that there is destiny being birthed in this church. It's amazing what is going on here and the works that we have out in the field, what God is doing, what He's preparing to do, what He's building up to do. We are growing, not just in numbers, but in maturity, in ability, in spiritual influence we're experiencing revival and so because of that listen there's going to be a need for people to minister to serve not just when you feel like it amen not just when it is convenient for you we are hopefully going to be do extremes here they take some work it's not you just pop up on the thing and, hey, I'm going to do a little song and I'm going to do a little skit and just hope that Jesus kind of comes down. We don't roll that way. I sure hope we don't. Because of that, we're going to need people that can fill faithfully different places week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. How many people, you want this church to be a conference church? I can see it. I have seen it in other places. I have seen it. It can happen here, but it's not going to be without people that will surrender, that will minister, that will serve. It has to start somewhere. We need people that will be pillars. 
Now, pillars are not just people that do nothing. All right? But they're people who are faithful. There are people who are mature spiritually who can bear the weight of responsibility. They can bear the weight of ministry. They can bear the weight and support and help their brothers and sisters without being asked. Every church we ever had before this one, I can remember uh, some of you in the old building, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the metal poles, right? The pillars. They're kind of annoying sometimes. You're trying to look around them when you're sitting. But without those pillars, the roof would have fell. You know? Imagine if those were people. And the only way you could get them to do their job was to ask them nicely. Right? Hello, hello, uh, Ryan, your pillar. Could, could you please, every Sunday, be every, like every Sunday, can you imagine pastor going, Ryan, could you, could you please be here every Sunday? No, you don't have to do that with pillars. Because they're stable, they're strong, they have responsibility, they know what they're supposed to do, they know when they're supposed to do it. You don't have to check on them. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just a need of people, but people who will maintain a godly character to serve. In other words, not people like Samson. Samson had great calling and great power, great spiritual gifting, but his character couldn't hold it up. He played with sin again and again and again and again and again, and then at the end it was too late when he wanted to be serious. That was not God's destiny for Samson. He was made and called for something better, and he failed because his character was weak. What could he have done had he had a strong character? What kind of judge could he really have been had he been a man of strong spiritual character? He had gifts, but no depth, no substance of godly character. I want to ask you, what is your character like? What is it like? Or is it getting better or worse? Do you allow things to slip? Are you building yourself up and doing the things you know you ought to do simply because it's right and because you love Jesus? Not because anyone's checking up on you, but because things are just simply right. Will you be willing to serve? Will you be willing to use what's in your hand and to surrender it to Jesus? Because listen, this is the thing. We miss out greatly when we refuse to surrender. Can you imagine what, the, what would have happened that day in our text if there was the boy with a lunch and he said, no, no, this is my lunch. You bunch of dummies, you don't have enough sense to pack your own lunch, why am I going to give you mine? It's his lunch. He could have done that, right? How many people would have been hungry? I mean, and they were, they were like three days without food, if you read. It wasn't, it wasn't a fast like they chose to fast. It's kind of like, you know, they, they want to follow Jesus. They want to get the trick. They want to get the miracle, whatever. And so they followed him without thinking about food. It's pretty hard. Even that, Jesus, the one who said, hey, we need to feed these guys. He saw a need. But yet, this boy, instead of goofing around, instead of staying home, instead of being selfish, Gives everything. He holds nothing back. He surrendered everything to Jesus. What about us? When it comes to the need to surrender what's in our hands to God, what do we do? Do we give it all up? Or, we, or, 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 you know, or do we get a knife out and go, I'll give you half this fish. 
Here you go. I give you the, the head. I heard it's a good part. It makes you smart. <laughs> Fish brains. There you go. Eat the eyeballs. I was going to sing a fish head song, but I won't do that. <laughs> Catch me later. I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> do we give it all up or do we hold on part of it? Because you know what? We have to make sure we're taken care of. We, I've been burned before, so I'm not going to serve all the way. Because people hurt you. People are mean. I think Jesus kind of knows that. He was crucified after all. He, he, he knew what was in our hearts. Amen. He knows what's in our hearts. But when we do that, you know what that does when we do that to Jesus? It shows that we don't trust Him. What about those who give nothing to Him? And yet they want to say they're Christ-like, a little Christ. Are you? Are you really? Because that's what the Bible would say. What about giving up what's yours? Because listen, in principle... God owns everything, right? The Bible says that we're not even ours, we're bought with a price. But God doesn't want robots. And so what does He do? He gives up sovereignty in a way of our lives. What I mean by that is this. He lets us have our own thoughts, right? We have control over our own thoughts. We have control over our own possessions. We're allowed to own things. We, he gives us these things as our own, our desires, our hopes, our dreams, all of these things. So from that perspective, Jesus says, hey, you can do with these things whatever you desire, whatever you want. Listen, God doesn't need anything from you and I. The, world, the silver and gold, the cattle and all the hill, they're His. If He wants anything, He can take it or He can make it. He doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need our devotion, really, but we should give it to Him. He'll keep being God if you want to be covetous with all those things. It's not going to change whether He's God or not. But we'll miss out. Because we need to give those things to Him. We are ruined for the kingdom and captured by this world if we don't give those things to Him that He's asking us to do that He's asking us to be, that He's asking us to surrender. Listen, 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 listen. Who do you love? What do you love? What do you give up for those things you love, but you say no to God about the same things? Hmm? Because those things are your idols. Whether it's your job, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, those things that you will give to others but not give to God, that's your idol. Check me out in the Bible. You can, I, I have no problem with the big, but show me a verse. Not a feeling. We are ruined for the kingdom and captured by this world if we don't surrender what Jesus has asked. And what He really wants is our heart, our love. He gives us a choice whether we're going to even give those things to Him. But listen, you can't say that you have a close relationship with God as Lord and Savior, as the best friend of your life, if when He prompts you to give and do something, you refuse and have a good reason for it. He gives us a choice even when it comes to salvation. It will, will come to Him and have that relationship on His terms. 
whether we'll devote the things that He has entrusted to us into serving Him or if we'll abuse those things and use them selfishly on ourselves. Exodus 4, 2 through 5, God is speaking to Moses. Moses has been on the backside of the desert. He's had utter failure in trying to be deliverer on the first part of the Moses movie, Deliver, Moses Deliver Part 1. Remember? He failed bad. Called out on it, ran in fear from Pharaoh into the wilderness. So here it is. God has not forgotten about his prophet. He sees the burning bush. Moses comes. He answers. And God begins to speak to him. And he says, what's that in your hand? And he says, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. And Moses ran away from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand out and catch it by the tail. Now, how many of you have played around with snakes? Is that the way you're supposed to grab a snake? Many Bible commentators think this was an asp, a poisonous snake. If you grab a snake by a tail, there's enough length in his body, it's going to come up and get you. And God tells him, I want you to do the most unsafe thing you can do, short of grabbing it up and doing this, to grab the snake by the tail. I want you, Moses, to take a risk that could very well cost you your life. What does Moses do? He grabs it up, catches it by the tail, and he doesn't die. And it turns back to a staff in his hand. And then God gives him the reason why he told them to do that. He says that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So Moses, this sacrifice, this risk of yours is going to be the sign that I am who I am. That I need you to do this miracle, but you've got to take some risks and trust in me. Give me what's in your hand, your staff. You know what, you read later on, and that staff becomes a symbol of Moses' authority. It even is given a, a name, the staff of Moses, the rod of God. That's what he used to part the Red Sea. That is what he used to turn uh, uh, the, the bitter waters into sweet waters. That's what he used to, to, he shouldn't have hit the rock, but God honored him and did a miracle anyways, and water came out of a rock. That is, became a symbol of his authority of God's power. The staff was a piece of stick. God, the power came from God because Moses had surrendered himself and took a risk for everything and trusted God. Listen, your relationship with Jesus will cost you everything. Jesus said that if you want to be my disciple, you have to be willing to take up your cross and follow me. That doesn't sound nice. That doesn't sound comfortable. That means some hardship. That means some response. That means you're going to surrender some things in worship and devotion to God. It's going to cost everything that seems familiar and secure, but it also will cause in your life a bursting of the realms of your imagination into new possibilities for life and faith that God has set out for you that you never thought was possible. But first, you have to surrender that thing. Those things. You have to risk your life to surrender. And when you do, not only will you survive, but you will thrive as well, and other people will be touched through your life. You know, I've been saved for a number of years, and it is so humbling all the different ways that God moves and, and works. There's times I thought, you, you know, when, when things aren't being fruitful, I think, have I made it? Have I erred here? Have I? Am I just wasting my life doing this? You know, there's dry areas in your life. And is it, was this worth it? And then later on, you find, it was more than worth it. 
it was more than worth it. I began to find that as I gave my life in areas that I wasn't losing it, I was actually finding it, but I was finding it in God. Because you'll never find out who you truly are until you find out who Jesus is for yourself. You know, there's a story of a little boy who was playing with a very valuable vase, and he, he put his hand in this vase to, uh, to grab a dime, but then he couldn't take his hand out, and his father's watching him. And so he's struggling, he's doing the best he could to get it out, and to no avail, so the father's sitting there thinking, well, we're going to have to break this thing. Yeah, it costs a lot of money, but we need his hand out because he's not going to do life with his, his arm in there. And so he says, son, look, look, one more try. Just, just look, do, do like this with your hand and let go. And he said, dad, I can't do that, dad. I couldn't do that because if I did that, I'd drop my dime. How many of us are going through life like that? God has told us to let go of something, right? Some of you, it's a, it's a lead vase. It's a, it's a bunch of vases. You walk through life like this, and God's saying, just let go. Just, I can't. That's, precious. That's my precious. I must keep it. That's, I, that's dear to me. Just, just let go of it. Just let, just let, just do this. No, no, I couldn't possibly do that. Sometimes we're like that boy. We're holding on to something in the world. We're holding on to the world's worthless dimes. And so we're not free. We need to learn to draw off the trifles in our life and surrender and let go and let God have his way in our lives. Last thing we want to look at is allow it to bless others. In verse 12 through 14, it says, So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so nothing is lost. So they gathered up the fragments. They had 12 baskets of fragments, five barlows that were left over. By those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the son that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet that has come into the world. Listen, one life truly can make a difference. Don't let your past cancel you out. Don't let what other people say cancel you out. You can make a difference where you are at, with those who are around you, whether it's family or friends at school or even the neighborhood you're at. There is no more fulfilling life than the one I'm living right now. I'll tell you, that's the truth. In my wildest dreams, I could never imagine the things that God has done or would do and is going to do. You know, I, I, I don't know how many people I've impacted. I, I, I probably run out of And then the ones that I don't even know that in heaven will find out. There's an old, old song by Ray Boltz, and it's called Thank You. It's very popular. Those of you who are... Older, older than me, or you know it. And it talks about in this song about this dude's in heaven. All these people who he has no idea, some of them, who they are, are coming to him and they're saying, thank you. You did this because you did this, I'm saved. You gave this money and you were on another part of the world and because you gave that money, I am saved. You ministered to me when I was a, a, a kid. And because you did that, the seed of the gospel was planted in my life, and now I'm saved. Thank you. Who knows the untold thousands right now, today, saved because one person, one person. See, through serving others, you also gain an understanding of the love of God because God, His love is one, it's chosen. He chose to love us. Two, it's sacrificial. He gave his best for us. 
And when we do the same, we, even if when it hurts sometimes to love that way, to serve that way, we become more like God. Listen, there is a great power in giving and serving, and not just for the recipient, but also for the one that is serving and giving. Because when we give more of ourselves, He fills us more to do that thing. You know, here it is, the boy in our text. He, is, he, was, he didn't know what Jesus was going to do when He gave him his lunch. It's not like He told him and said, Hey, I'm going to feed all these people. Stick around and watch this. He just did it. The boy surrendered. He did the miracle. Amen? Many times we are reluctant. Let's be honest. We can be reluctant in surrendering to God, huh? Right? We want to be like that boy. Right? Here you go. But we're doing this. <laughs> right? Matters, matters what day Jesus catches us. Sometimes there's things we've given to him, and we try to... Huh? It says in verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, in other words, a miracle... They made a statement. Truly, this is the prophet, in other words, the Messiah. Not some, just some, any other dude. The Messiah who has come into the world. In other words, it provoked some kind of a change in them. They weren't saying that at the beginning. They said it after they saw the sign. But sometimes when we regret not giving something or not serving, what happens is we begin to cry we begin to be filled with self-condemnation. We start kicking ourselves, amen? Oh, if I just could go back in time and redo that. If I, oh. But the question is, do we just dwell on self-pity? Or do we get up and do we learn from that, repent, and then do better next time when God says, come and I have your lunch. What's in your hand? Gave his whole lunch to Jesus. And didn't expect anything back for himself. Can you imagine the amazement on that kid's face as his lunch multiplied and people were getting fed to the brim? Listen, you can never outgive or outserve God. He has a reservoir for you, but you only tap into it when you try to serve, when you do give. Have you ever contemplated maybe? That the thing that God is speaking to you about, the thing that He wants you to give to Him, might not even be for you, but it's for others. It, it, it has nothing to do with you. It, it's for somebody else. But He is giving you an opportunity to be involved in that. Maybe it's a skill, a talent, a spiritual gifting, a possession, your time. Maybe He just wants you to pray. Hmm? You know, this Friday in our Bible study, we talked about intercessory prayer. I so appreciate the people that actually are sensitive to God and know when God speaks to them, hey, I you need to pray for this person at this time. It's just out of the blue, makes no sense, and yet they're obedient and do that. I wonder how many times in my life I've been a recipient of that unknowing that someone prayed for me at a specific time, and I thank God for that. I'm closing. Early one Morning, a pastor was walking through the sanctuary of his church, and he found an envelope lying on the altar. There was something in the envelope. It was a, a note. 
scrawled in it in pencil with these words. Dear God, I haven't visited in a very long time, but tonight my car seemed to drive me here. For several years I've lost faith, but no longer. I'll be around. I need help, though. I'm in college. Life is confusing. I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis this summer. My grades are slipping. I truly want to succeed in life, but how? Please accept this as it's all I have right now. Inside the envelope were stuffed several bills of small currency. And this probably wasn't a lot, maybe a, enough to, for McDonald's lunch, maybe buy some five pancakes or two sausages. It's all the person had. Listen, God will do a lot with a little if he has it, if he has it all. I want to ask you, does God have your life today? Have you placed it in his hands? Because until you do, you will never know the difference that will make. How can you impact what you have in your hands? Can you do more than God does? I know I can't. How can you make a difference with what is in your hands, what God is speaking to you about? There's some here, and you are at a crossroads of decision in your life. I mean, God has forced you to this. God has said, okay, I've been gracious with you in these areas about this stuff, but I'm going to corner you. I need an answer now. There's some, that, that's where you're at in life. What are you going to answer Jesus? What are you going to answer him? God has brought you there and he is causing you to decide whether you're going to take what's in your hands and serve him if you're going to get involved and be all in. Listen, if you're going to serve God, don't dilly-dally. Amen? Don't do the stupid thing that some people do when they are going to get in the water. Okay? Oh! That's enough. I'm going to try Jesus. Try. What do you try? This is not sampling for appetizers. You either give him your life or you keep your life. You can't kind of give your life. There's no, there's no light hell or, or kind of heaven. No. It's either all or nothing. I don't like that. That's so mean. It's so extreme. That's what Jesus said. Either you cannot serve two masters. You love one or you hate the other. Not love one and kind of love the other. You cannot serve two masters. So you've got to choose. I'm calling you to serve tonight. I'm calling you to choose tonight. It's your choice. I'm not, I refuse to make it for you. If you ask my opinion, I could tell you what you ought to pick. But it's your choice. I want to ask you. Have you come to God and said, God, I will give you whatever I have in my hands if you would just use it and make my life count? If God used a small boy to feed a multitude, if he used Moses' staff to lead millions of people and do miracles, what could he do with you and I? What could he do with you and I? Nothing was done and no one was blessed and needs weren't met until someone surrendered all. Amen? Praise God. Listen, I want to just close with this real quick. I'm not, I, giving and serving is not a replacement for a salvation or relationship with Jesus. You can't give and serve your way into salvation. That's called works. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is not by works that we are saved. 
It is by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So these things don't make you more saved or better saved, but what they do demonstrate is that you have a genuine faith that spurs you on to want to love and to serve where God has placed you. That is a sign of genuine faith. And so as James said, if there's no works, is there real faith? You have to answer that. You have to deal with that. Amen? Let's bow our head, close our eyes in the presence of God and respect to each other. I spoke tonight about giving your all, and maybe you're here, you're not saved, you're not right with God. Jesus gave his all for you. He didn't hold back one iota of who he was. The Bible says, John 3.16, that God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son. His pre- there is no one else like Jesus. There never was, there never is, there never will be. He gave his best because he loved you. That if you would choose to depend and lean on your whole life on Him, not just have a mental belief. You can have a mental belief and if it doesn't affect your life, you're still going to hell. But if you would surrender your life to Him and say, yes, I'm a sinner. I need you, Jesus. I'm giving you my life. The miracle happens. The great exchange happens that He takes your sinful life and He washes you, and He cleanses you, and He makes you pure, white as snow, and all things are passed away, and all things become new, and you're in this place, and you say, preacher, I need that. I've tried so many things, but I'm not right with God. If I die today, I would not go to heaven, but I want to. I want to know the promise of sins forgiven and my life renewed. That's you. Quickly, raise your hand where I can see it. No one looking around. Yes, I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Yes, these, raise your hand. Praise God. Praise God. Anyone else? Yes, I see your hand back there. God bless you. Anyone else? Yes, I see your hand in the front here. Anyone else? You're not saved. You're not right with God. Maybe you're back, so that means at one time you gave your life to Jesus. You surrendered. You gave your life to Jesus, but you took it back. Maybe something happened. Maybe it was just a series of bad decisions. Maybe you were deceived. It really doesn't matter the circumstances. What matters is this, is that Jesus knows your name. He knows your address, spiritually and physically. He knows your life, and he loves you. You can't make him love you any more than he already does. But the question is, are you surrendered to him? Will you come back to him? Bible says he's married to the backsider. He has not forsaken you. You have left him. But he's calling you back. He is knocking at the door of your heart tonight. Will you open? Will you answer? Will you say, yes, Jesus, I'm coming back to you. That's you. You're a backsider. You want to repent. You want to raise your hand. You want to give your life to Jesus. Anyone? Quickly, quickly. I'm not going to hold this out. I see your hand. You haven't raised your hand yet. Listen, God wants to touch you. There are doors that open and close in life, and now is an open door for you to be saved. You want to take that, because we are not promised tomorrow. There's people here, you're not saved. Listen, listen, you're not resisting me. I'm going to go home and get a good night's sleep. You're resisting your Creator. You're resisting the one who loves you and gave everything for you. Why would you do that? Is your pride that good? Is it? Because that's all you're going to have. And that will not get you to heaven. Your pride will not get you to heaven. 
Will you repent? Give Jesus your life. Raise your hand quickly, quickly. Praise God. Yes, I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. God's going to help you. Anyone else? All right. Yes, I see your hand in the back. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, I see your hand there. If you raise your hand, I want you to look at me very quickly. Did you mean that? 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 Okay. I want you to stand on your feet. I want you to come forward. Someone's going to come. They're going to pray a prayer of salvation with you. That's all we're going to do. We're not going to make you do a membership card thing or something like that. We're not going to put a microphone in front of your face and embarrass you. We just want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. I need some, some people, godly people, to pray with these children, young people here. Praise God. I need someone to pray with their sister here. Leave a, a prayer of salvation. Praise God. I'm going to open the altar to the saints. God has been speaking to you about ministry, about getting involved. Don't put them off. He wants your answer tonight. Yes or no. Yes or no. And if you're going to tell God to wait, you need to tell him with your own words.